0: From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy.
1: The biggest thing that we've been able to advocate for is that no one will buy the knockoff without wishing they could afford the real thing. So here you are prostituting yourself, which is the most unsettling, degrading feeling on the planet. And you realize that no amount of pretending that you are something that you're not is going to get them off your back because what they're expecting is the real thing. And you can't give that to them because you aren't.
0: When any of us start out building a business, we have these ambitions to have our greatest talent come out in the world and make a massive difference. And it's so exciting in those early stages. But then when we get into the thick of it and we are trying to make a go, oftentimes our hearts can drift. And unintentionally, we make a couple adjustments, sacrifices. Maybe we fall a little bit out of integrity with ourselves. And we do it for good reasons. We need to make money. We need to adjust to a maybe a challenging uh, marketplace with competitors who are doing business maybe a little differently than you want to, but in that shift in that drift that happens, it can leave so many folks in a place of misalignment where we just feel like we're not who we intended to be at this business, and then we attract certain customers that man they just they aren't a fit for what we can really do, but if there are only customers, it makes sense that we we kind of put up with it we go with it anyways. Well, I want to suggest to you today that it doesn't have to be that way. And to help us get there, I've invited my friend. Her name is Krista Michelli, and she is a CEO and brand strategist of Big Deal Branding. She's done a ton of work with small businesses all the way to multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical companies. And that track record, though, isn't what I'm so impressed with. The reason she's built such an amazing company is really because of how committed she is to only working with people who are serious about realigning with themselves and building a brand that's truly what they were made to go do so if that's where you're at whether you're on the drift or you're headed back toward finding what you were made to do in business i think today's conversation is going to be a massive gift Krista Michelli, welcome to Converge.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: I am so pleased that you're here for a lot of reasons. One, because you're about to come speak at our, our conference, the Ghost Summit here in January, and I know a lot of folks are going to be very excited to get to know you if they don't know you already. But even just for today's conversation, as you and I have had a chance to get to know each other through mutual friends over the last little bit, I've just been struck by how much I've been able to learn and grow through our conversations. And when I found out that you'd be open to being on the show and uh, putting turning the mic on so others could benefit, I was thrilled at that idea. So again, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. I'm super excited. I'm super excited to hear what you have to throw at me.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll do my best to make it interesting. So this is probably a good place to start. If you could give us like the 122nd version of what got you from there to here, because I think your journey is a really unique one coming from where you started your business at Big Deal Branding and how that company has grown, how you've grown, what you've learned over the years. But talk a little bit about your journey.
1: Yeah. So the evolution has been very interesting. I think when I started Big Deal Branding, it came from a place of... I'm working in-house, you know, doing traditional marketing for both corporate, Fortune 500, nonprofit, and I started seeing a huge disconnect in what I was able to do as a marketing professional or a brand professional in-house because of the leadership. So, I was in all these meetings and I thought no one's on the same page in our executive suite, which means I'm basically lying to anyone when I'm doing any marketing materials, because it's really just the best of it's kind of like the Instagram, totally the Instagram version of our company. And I got really frustrated as an employee, which your audience can probably resonate with. It's why most of us are entrepreneurs, because I just didn't feel like the leadership was willing to take control over or take ownership. It's not even control. It's just take ownership of how they were contributing to the demise of their own brands. So I went and got a master's degree in organizational leadership, which paired, I felt, very naturally with my undergraduate degree in integrated marketing and communications and started a company that integrated strategy and design under one roof. There was no middleman. There was no account executive. There was no one giving you the Don Draper spiel and then handing you off to a junior account manager. There was absolutely no disconnect between what I felt was critical, which is clarifying a message, owning it having it be systemic, everybody in the organization getting behind it, and the designs that then communicated that very message. And that's what we've been able to do both for small businesses all the way up to multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical companies. And it's been, and just for, I guess, some encouragement, it's the exact same process, no matter the size of the company. It just takes a different form based on how many people are involved in the conversation.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about a number of things just in that opening set of statements, because number one, you're talking a little bit about, you know, how people, what they understand marketing to be. So the conversation around, you know, the Instagram of marketing and, you know, or Seth Godin's, you know, all marketers are liars or the perception out there that that that's just what we do is we just lie cleverly and everyone knows it, but they put up with it because if they're entertained enough, they might just buy. And I I know in my own journey, when I was first started, this is well documented uh, in my own writings and stuff, where I had an undergrad in marketing before I did grad work in philosophy, and I was under the belief that marketing meant manipulate people to do something with really limited and shady information. So I started my photo business by arguing that I was like Santa Barbara's premier wedding photography Like a, a month into my career in a city that's famous for world-class photographers. And I actually had a colleague who confronted me and said, yeah, that's not the truth. And that that's what interrupted and really reset my whole journey and relationship with marketing in fact awoken me just a a whole new frontier of like well actually marketing could be so much more than that so i'd love to hear what you think marketing and branding are uh in a second and i'd also love to talk about this notion of different levels of marketing so because if i'm hearing your journey correctly first you were looking at marketing from and, and i'm saying marketing in a very general sense but Uh, But you were, you're from the inside looking out and you were you were disillusioned and discouraged. And then you start, you go out on your own and now you're on the outside looking in, but working alongside, you know, smaller all the way up to really large scale, uh, like shops. And I'm wondering in that transition, even with your, whatever your definition of marketing branding is, did that change at all over time, even though the process is similar in every context, even if it's different scale?
1: Yeah, it hasn't actually. And I have to clarify my very first job out of undergrad, I had an incredible boss who has is still a career mentor of mine. And I was working for a CPA firm in the Midwest. It could not, who is it?
0: Who, what's his name? Let's give him credit.
1: So her name is Tammy Allen. She in the city that I grew up in and ended up starting my career in Wichita, Kansas. She, I mean, everybody knew her in the space. She was incredibly generous. She was But at the time, you know, here I am, this 21-year-old, like, doe-eyed, holy crap, you can be a woman in Kansas and kick ass. Like, this is what I'm thinking. And she got to be my boss. And I had already acquired the position. She came on later. And I thought, man, I hit the jackpot. Like, all of my friends are going and working for ad agencies. I chose to do this so I could learn more in-house at a financial firm because I wanted my hands on everything. I knew that if I worked for an ad agency at the time, that I would only be filing papers for people and maybe getting to overhear some creative conversations. This put me in a position to be the creative, even if I wasn't. That was huge for me. And I have to give them credit because it it was just her. She was the VP of of marketing. We both reported to the CEO and she brought me into every meeting. She was constantly feeding me work. She was constantly investing in me. And I learned a lot from her because she was very, very hard on the organization and making sure that we were promoting truth. And so there was a there was a task that I had, because I too felt like, okay, if I can just write the best copy, if I can just manipulate my way through it, if I could write the best ad, so to speak, we'll be able to promote this organization as better than maybe KPMG or whoever the giants were. And we weren't, we were highly competitive. For different reasons. But like you said, with your photography business, not for the ones that were on the nose. So she really helped me understand that. And because I was so young, and so green, and she knew I was so hungry, she gave me her and the HR director, or the VP of HR, they both came to me and said, What if you did generational research in the workplace? And what if you were able to write, copy and design promotional pieces for our organization, for your friends, to not overlook us as an option for employment. And that was my introduction into what actual research meant. It was my introduction into what happens when leadership is actually aligned with a a particular vision for how they want to communicate. And it was my introduction to see what happens when we commit to that, because then they started developing systems. Like, what if we do get these really cool people to enlist because of some rad piece I created. Like, I'm gonna feel really bad if they come to an environment that's sterile. And so they started creating all these programs and mentorships. And it became this very snowball effect, because leadership initially gave me a task that they all agreed was important, and started flushing it out from that point. And then when I moved from that organization went into academia, which was incredibly dysfunctional and hierarchical and just nonsense. I realized that really was the jackpot. That really was such a perfect indoctrination of what marketing and branding actually is. And for me, they understood that branding was the why behind what you do. Branding was the heartbeat. Branding was what people would naturally align themselves with. And I think you mentioned Seth Godin. He always says, just because you wear a cowboy hat doesn't make you a cowboy. And that, to me, is just the perfect analogy for what I think people mostly associate with branding. If I just have a really cool website, then that means I'm legit. And I don't, I don't, think, I don't think people realize that's not the point, that it takes so much more work to get everyone aligned, to get clarity of message, and to get buy-in from literally every single person in the organization, particularly the leadership, and to make some hard decisions if people don't start following whatever the prescribed method is for communicating that message. And I think once I started realizing that wasn't normal, (laughs) it wasn't normal for people to be that engaged as an organization, I realized where the disconnect was. And it was my life mission to make sure that people understood that it wasn't as easy as slapping a cool logo on something. Yeah. Well, to be fair, it was 115 person organization at the time. So it wasn't necessarily small fries and it wasn't necessarily overtly large either, but 115 people is a lot of people to wrangle. And when you're talking about a financial services company, well, they had so many different things that they offered, but that was the, the foundational kind of the breadwinner. When you're talking about that kind of ethos, so to speak, you're then saying soft skills are now important. And for numbers people, I don't think that was an easy pill to swallow, but the leadership was so adamant about unity and they were so adamant about people understanding the value of what they did that they kind of sucked it up and they figured out how to navigate through something that was maybe not as natural for them. And I have to say, the the C suite, all the VPs, I never encountered one that wasn't willing to talk to the lowest guy on the to- totem pole and ask for their opinion. And again, I don't know if that's a Midwest thing because I, I hadn't had experience outside of that firm as like a professional day in day out role. But it was for that company, and 150 people. That's not that's not easy.
0: Oh, no, not easy at all. And I'm in agreement, but it does sound like you are recognizing that regardless of how big that organization was, you walked into a very unique environment with
1: 100 that
0: was remarkably healthy as a culture. And, yes. and I think what I'm struck by is for the folks that are listening, regardless of whether they work in a company like that or a company even bigger, or they're running their own, whatever their project is that they're focused on, the opportunity at any level is to Align around a common purpose and a common yeah. process and a common set of mechanisms to make sure that you're consistently moving in the same direction as opposed to having competing interests that are driving the ship in different directions.
1: Yeah. I would say, at least for the Big Deal branding philosophy, for us, and maybe it was founded in this particular experience juxtaposed with multiple other horrible experiences that I had as an employee, I would say that the shared vision out of a set of values that the the leadership team and the company as a whole have actually subscribed to is the critical piece to creating a message that's clear that every single person in the organization and outside of the organization can understand and then effectively implement in their particular role without an understanding of values i'm not talking about values that are on the back of a business card that you never look at because I've actually I've actually accepted jobs at organizations before becoming an entrepreneur because of their values, assuming that our definitions were the same. And once I got in the inner workings, realized they don't actually know their values. And so I'm mad that you're asking me to compromise the values that we say we share in order to work for an organization that actively promotes them.
0: So there was like a disconnect between their stated values and their real values that they're behaving out of.
1: And that to me, I think is the biggest step. Like if, if an organization hasn't identified, not just the, the value itself, but the definition and hasn't figured out a way to craft that into a message that they, just a foundational message that will never change. It'll flush itself out differently as you evolve, but the foundational thing that you offer. So for big deal branding, we realize we will always be honest and we will always execute. Whether it's a small business, which was our first two years, or again, multi-billion dollar organization five years in, it doesn't matter. The message doesn't change. You can expect us to be honest and you, you can expect us to get the job done.
0: So I want to come back to the honest and execution in a second because there's something, there's a lot in that that we want to unpack. But I, before we get there, I'm wondering, do you have an example of an organization, like I'd love to, beyond just kind of the categories of vision and values and Mm -hmm. living it out in real life, can you give an example, especially maybe in the early days of smaller companies that through big deal, you've been able to work with where maybe they, when you walked in to the ship, they didn't really have their things aligned and there was a lot of confusion, but by the time you left or partnered with them, uh, you saw a significant turnaround. Can you talk, talk through a story like that?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm going to be general because the first two years, it was the same story every single day. And it wasn't shocking anymore that, you know, we had small businesses coming to us. They were either husband wife teams or they were just individuals. All of them came to us very successful. There was nothing inherently wrong with the business model. They were killing it. What we started realizing is that they, first of all, didn't know what their values were. And so They had effectively left a job, started their own company because they couldn't tolerate working for other people anymore, and had basically made a lateral move because they had created environments that were familiar and were effectively compromising their own values to work for themselves and couldn't figure out how they had spun another web for themselves. And 100% of the time, it's because there was a misalignment of values. And that was really easy to distinguish when you're talking about small business because they were like, I I don't, it was a feeling, like, I don't feel good about this. I quit for these reasons. I started my own business, took the risk for these reasons. And I have an almost worse lifestyle. Like, I'm working myself to the bone. I'm constantly comparing myself with other people. I don't feel adequate. I don't feel, you know, I'm taking on clients just willy nilly, like I'm not actually setting boundaries. And I don't know what boundaries to set because I don't want them to be arbitrary. And I want to pay my bills. Like there was a lot of fear and a lot of confusion. And once we started saying, okay, we'll just tell us, here's a list of words, (laughs) start like highlighting the ones that you think resonate with you. And then tell us what your ideal scenario is. And nine times out of 10, especially for artists, they were like, I just want someone to hire me and let me do my job. I'm like, you mean not give you a shot list, not give you a Pinterest page of somebody else's work? <laughs> you know, like you go down the list and they're like, yes. And you're like, ugly crying because they're like, that would be so awesome. And I said, well, you, you want someone to trust you is what you're saying. And they are like, trust is my number one value. And so then they start unpacking that. And I can tell you just the freedom that comes from knowing what you stand for is so powerful. It's so powerful because then instantly they start seeing where the major gaps in the process are and they start instantly setting boundaries. And what's even better is that they start taking ownership and realize they can't retroactive, (laughs) they can't grandfather this in. They can't take the clients that, you know, maybe they've already booked for 2017 and get mad at them for not adhering to this like new set of values that they've just discovered. Like they just have to suck it up. So I, I know it's not specific, but that is so foundational to the work we were doing. And I have, it was emotional. It was emotional for all of us because you feel stupid as a business owner that you created a company that was just so misaligned with what you actually believed in and what you actually cared about. And they were scared. They were like, well, what this means now that I have this knowledge is that I have to start making different decisions. And I'm afraid that the success I've found... Is solely based on the poor mechanisms I've set in place, the unhealthy ones. And again, if they actually followed the process, 100% of the time, if they actually followed the process after they were done with us, their businesses increased by 143% within six months. And that's like quantifiable. Right. So that was a powerful time in our business. I mean, I became, we started vacationing with our clients. We started realizing that the people that, actually wanted to to hire us, had the same values as us. And we were like, oh my God, our process actually works. Like we branded ourselves in such a way that the only people who are attracted to us, even if they don't even know what their values are, gravitate towards us because they share the same ideologies.
0: What I'm really hearing is a couple things. One, it sounds like you were drawing people who were, like you say, radically out of alignment with themselves, with their own integrity. Yep. And- yeah. And whether they could name what would be integrous or not, there was this clear internal disconnect. And as that increased, whether they're they getting business or not, the breakdown internally was just getting wider and wider. So even if they were making a lot of money, they actually felt like a really high paid prostitute, like they were just willing, whatever, if you'll pay me, I'll do it kind of approach. And as you introduce the possibility that you could trade in this fear and confusion for even a, a modest integrous business that aligns with who they were, that not only was it so attractive, they were ready to probably go, look, I'll take a tenth of what I'm making if it means I could live like this every day. Because then work doesn't feel like work. Work feels like expression. And I, number one is that (laughs) <laughs> that to- completely aligns, I feel like I'd hire you in a heartbeat. Like y- you are entirely in tune with what we're about as a community here at fastermind. And also, you know, with go summit and these different pieces, because that's precisely the folks that are, that, that show up. They're the ones who were, they're just in this mode of like, I'm, I'm so tired of working so hard. And then the best case scenario I get is this radical disconnect from why I started this thing in the first place.
1: Well, and can I tell you the the biggest thing and in- I only cut you off because you said something. It's not just the fear, it's this automatic, and I don't know what it is about humans in general, but there's this automatic choice to be a replica over choosing to own who you are. Automatic, almost every time. And that kills us. That sends us into this. Well, I'm just basically prostituting my business and myself in order to keep some sort of like, you know, disillusioned momentum. And I feel like the biggest thing that we've been able to advocate for is that no one will buy the knockoff without wishing they could afford the real thing. So here you are prostituting yourself, which is just the most unsettling, degrading feeling on the planet for anyone. And you realize that no amount of hustling, no amount of wooing no amount of pretending that you are something that you're not is going to get them off your back. You will never live up to their expectations because what they're expecting is the real thing and you can't give that to them because you aren't. You're a subpar version, you're a replica of somebody else. And that is crazy.
0: It is crazy. It's lunacy. My, my friend Todd Henry likes to say cover bands never change the world. And that's what you're describing. It's our best shot at It's is- is really gonna result in in a bad cover.
1: (laughs) It really is. And and that to me, it wasn't until last year that I realized, I mean, the amount of speaking that I do, the amount of, you know, work that we do with our clients day in, day out on this, it really wasn't until last year that I realized the reason we fight so hard for this is because we personally, Gary and I, want to believe that this is true for everyone, even ourselves. We wanna believe that all of us are unique all of us were here dropped in this particular time in human history for a reason and to choose to be a replica over choosing even like one minor little difference between us and somebody else is just so devastating to me and so we have we've struggled through years of our business we've thrived and every single time i tell gary i'm like i don't give a shit <laughs> this is my life mantra If I see one more person just deduce themselves to being a replica, I will lose it. And that's who ends up hiring us are the people that have actually come to grips with the fact that that's what they've done. And they're not standing for it anymore. And they don't know what to do, but they need to do something.
0: Well, we're going to talk about that, what they get to do in a minute. But before we get there, I want to just make a quick comment. One is you're kind of famous from friends that introduced me before we became friends and in the marketplace. You're no nonsense. (laughs) What I love about it is, you know, you're no nonsense, right? Like you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're not interested in playing the games. And it's one of the chief reasons why so many folks are really drawn into the conversation is because you really are interested in and helping them. Like I kind of wish your company wasn't big deal, but like real deal branding. (laughs) That idea of of honesty and, and even your your you know your commitment to be around honesty and execution. And even when you pointed back to Tammy and that company that you started with, it sounds like their culture was one of truth telling and fierce conversations. If folks are listening and they don't they don't live in that environment and they they're craving help. To either change it in their, it could be in their their own home. It could be in their companies. It could just be in their friends. Like they want to, they want to be with truth tellers. Because I know, even as we're speaking, I know for sure there are people who are hearing this who are like, "Oh my gosh, they're speak. This is my tribe. I didn't know existed. There, there are humans who live like this. I didn't know that was a possibility. And not all of them are going to have a chance to work with you." but all of them do have a chance to do something in their world that's new and different. And if they were brave enough to wanna to step out and you had a chance to have coffee with them, what would you talk to them about? Like, what would be some first steps that they would take to not only with their company, but just with their lives, just decide with the same kind of fierceness that you've been engaging life? What What would be some first steps for them?
1: Yeah, you know, and this is just recent, I've been doing random one-on-one coaching as people kind of reach out, and mostly female entrepreneurs who are like, oh my gosh, I just need an hour of you yelling at me. That would be great. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to yell at you. Just tell me what you need. And what ends up happening in those one-on-one conversations is, look, I want you I want you to approach this from a quarterly perspective. We're talking three months out. I don't want your like... Synopsis of the five years of running your business that have been miserable. I don't want your five year plan moving forward. I want you to tell me for the next three months what's doable for you. Like, if you could spend three solid months just focusing on one thing, what would it be? And a lot of times people don't know the answer to that, and that's fine. So we spend a little bit of time kind of unpacking that and having them process and talk. And usually what comes out of it is. I know what I need to do, but I don't feel like I could do it the way that I feel like it's supposed to be done in order to be effective. And for me, I'm like, whoa, super loaded, <laughs> super loaded response. Like, help me understand what it is about this conversation that's wearing you out. Well, it's not as big as so-and-so. It's not as sophisticated as this. I'm like, well, are you going for sophistication and sheer numbers? Or are you going for impact? Like, just be honest. And usually it's, no, I actually want to make an impact. I'm like, well, it's unfortunate because the amount of time that you've spent going back and forth comparing yourself to people that have been doing it for 10, 20 years has kept you from actually having really amazing conversations or creating environments for other people to find health and feel like they do have someone that understands them, no matter what it is that you want to do. And so my initial response is usually spend three months, shoot the first email Like get the ball rolling, tell people this is what you're doing, commit to it. Then I I always tell people to start making a list of actual facts of you succeeding. This isn't to pump up your ego. This is just purely for those moments where you feel like, well, uh, it's not going to be awesome. And usually I work with very high achievers who always think if I did it, then it must not have been that hard. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, let's back it up a second and let's just write down from day one how you're even in a position to even garner the respect from somebody by just showing up. That takes a lot of work. So why don't you give yourself some credit, write it down on a piece of paper, put it in your freaking office and remind yourself every day that these are muscles that you've been exercising for the last, however old you are, (laughs) because it's just a part of your makeup. And anything that you choose to tackle, you're going to be fine. And third, in this three month exploration, I always tell people, we only do three months at a time. Because as you're engaging in this process, you're going to learn new information, and you might change your mind. And that's fine. Like, that's actually great. I don't think you need to commit to something with limited knowledge, and then start gaining knowledge and realize, "Hmm, that's not near, like what I was anticipating. And then hold on to it because you don't want to be embarrassed that you told people you were going to do something and then you didn't. No, that's ridiculous. First of all, nobody cares what you're doing. They're too busy worrying about themselves. Second, it's new information. Like if, if I never changed my perspective or my direction just because I want to pay homage to my 16-year-old self, that would be terrifying. So three months at a time, first step is just to get real with yourself as to what's been holding you up. Squash it with truth, which is usually quantifiable evidence of your success. And third is, do an assessment at the end of three months, reevaluate, change your mind if you have to, move on.
0: My guess is that's going to have implications on relationships because if people live like that, that's that's going to interrupt some things.
1: You're not supposed to tell them that. Now. <laughs> yeah, it does. And for full disclosure, you know, honesty is next to respect one of my number one values and uh, like I feel like they're evenly weighted but I am brutally honest and so proud to have friendships like this has taken a while but I'm so proud of the friendships that I have and the community they have the tribe that I have in every area of my life when it comes to those things but it is so difficult for me to show up and be honest in my marriage and I've had that conversation with my husband Multiple times where he's like, "I watch you be such a freaking ballbuster and like be so awesome with literally everyone else," and then you like freeze when we have to have our conversation. So that's an area for me when we're talking about owning your values. I've gotten really good at it. I know that it it adds value, and I know that it produces the kind of results for the life that I want. But I it can't be limited to just specific areas because at some point it all starts to. To crumble. So the area that I choose to focus on when I become aware that there's a deficiency, that that is the priority. It's not the areas that I've already tackled that are fun and like easy and super rewarding instantly. It has to be the areas where you feel there's most opportunity. Or, you know, sometimes for people in relationships, it's like I can't like, I shouldn't be in this friendship anymore. And that's a really hard conversation. It's not fun. It
0: it it isn't fun, but it sure is rewarding on the other side. Totally. Like, t- just talk for a second about about the benefits of this kind of living, <laughs> because that's what you're describing. Really, it's a different. It's a. It's not just a cultural set for your business. It's not just a brand. Really, what you're talking about is a way of being.
1: Yeah, for me, I grew up in an environment where it wasn't okay for me to be me. It wasn't. I, I was. I didn't feel a tremendous amount of support. And a lot of that is because when you have the personality that I have and you're a woman and you are in Kansas in a small town and you don't have really great tone yet and you haven't figured out how to communicate to people without just yelling at them all the time. It it just doesn't, people aren't willing to be patient with that. And so it's kind of like throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so I spent a lot of my time feeling like I had to prove something to people. I felt like, I never wanted to be a replica. I just wanted people to understand that I was important and that I was smart. There was a lot of little hangups. To have committed to a life like this for over a decade has meant that ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I'm showing like I there's zero difference between my online persona, my in person persona, my Netflixing and chill with my husband persona, (laughs) right? Like literally no difference. I may be louder in certain areas, but really, honestly, I've gotten to the point where the greatest compliment is like, you're the same, like it's exactly what I expected. And to me personally, there's nothing better than that because it means that they're accepting who I am. And it means that I've effectively communicated it at almost every single level of my life that this is what you can get, that this is what you can expect to get when you interact with me.
0: Well, I know as folks are listening, this is the kind of thing that like you're you're speaking directly to some folks that are just
1: They're in the field. Position right now, yeah, like. yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. They're rocking back and forth. <laughs> uh, they're wondering what, what does it all this mean? Yeah. And, and, and it's, all, it's kind of a rite of passage, I think, for a lot of folks to decide that this is, you know, if this is going to be their year, this is going to be their whatever, that it's not just about like a resolution. It's about real concrete, substantive shifting. And that requires a lot, requires community, requires support, requires input. I'm thrilled that I get to be a fan in your tribe in this conversation, just because I, I know there's a lot of folks that will want to tune in with you more and more. And I'm wondering, for those folks, uh, where, where do they go? How can they pay attention and uh, tune in to uh, get exposed to some of your ideas and, and some of your work?
1: Our website, bigdealbraining.com, we keep pretty up to date. We are pretty straightforward on that website in terms of philosophy and some white papers and case studies so that you can see real proof of what this looks like on a corporate level or a business level. Personally, Instagram is the best place to go. I do some microblogging there. I am very honest about lifestyle. And I, I'm married to a filmmaker who just released his first feature. And that has been and, and we have a one-year-old and we're pregnant again. And congratulations. it's so great. So for people who live in LA who are like, A, you can't have a family here. B like, how do you survive in this industry? see how are you both entrepreneurs under one roof and have a mortgage and you know fill in the blank. I'm pretty honest with what that journey looks like and it's messy, but we feel like it was a very calculated risk in the last couple of years. And it's been probably the most invigorating time and the most like ass clinching time of our life. <laughs> so, so I'm pretty honest about parenthood in a very like positive way. I think there's enough negativity. And I'm I'm very open about my own personal journey, which I have to say, when you're talking about like committing to who you are, full disclosure, I mean, having a kid for me, which is not something I, I ever really wanted. When I was growing up, I thought you either had to choose having a career or having a family. And so I chose a career route. And when I realized I could maybe do both, I got kind of excited. I got really nervous that it would change me and I'd lose my edge and like lose my brand. and. What I realized just as part of the evolution, once you own something, it doesn't mean that there's not an evolution. So, for me, what I realized is that you could be compassionate, like very compassionate in your honesty. It doesn't have to be bulldozing, it doesn't have to be like shock value. And that for me has been a very personal shift in the last year of just like, just calm down for a second. Like, people can handle honesty at varying levels. (laughs) Like, you don't have to come in guns a blazing and like, fire hose everyone so just for people out there that are like oh my god this is going to be a massive life shift it likely won't be it's pretty gradual it doesn't have to be this has been you know 15 years in the making of like owning this
0: yeah the pace of the dimmer switch can be your own (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) control of
0: that that's right so
1: and just so you know it's not whatever you decide today that again does not have to be what it ends up looking like for the next 20 years and I think there's a lot of fear of becoming sterile or, or boring or I don't think that's ever the case when you're constantly trying to become a better individual
0: well krista i i am so grateful for you being on the show thank you so much for being here thank and, you and really cannot wait uh, until we're together in january we're gonna have a lot of fun
1: so excited
0: this was episode 11 season 2 of converge the business of creativity podcast music today provided by triple scoop music the leading music service for creative professionals find the perfect song for your next project at triplescoopmusic.com. FasterMind.co is home base for all things Converge. It's also where you can find exactly what you need to make real change happen. Like ever want to ditch your not-so-smart smartphone addiction? Knock that out this week. No kidding. Find out more at FasterMind.co. Until then, I'm James Sanders. I cannot wait until next time.